Greetings. Happy uh, February almost. This comes out on the 31st of January and I have no idea where January went. If you know, um, you know, send me an email and let me know what happened to January. So today I want to talk about improving your verbal communication skills to enhance your promotability. Initially, this was going to be verbal and written communication skills. And as I dug in and, and did some research and thought about and actually went back to some of my old podcasts, uh, and, and just used my, my wisdom, if you will, I realized it was way too much to cover in one episode. So next week, I'm going to do the written communication skills piece. Uh, today, we're going to focus on the verbal. And again, specifically with an eye to enhancing your promotability. In episode 113 and 114, I talked about effective communication skills at work. And now those were episodes that I created off of a program that I did pre-COVID for the Tops Corporation, which is the Bazooka Bubblegum folks. And I created two podcasts and I put those links in the show notes. Uh, so if you want to refer back to them, there is some of that content, a little bit of it in this episode, but, but not a lot. This is mostly new information. So I wanted to start with an assessment of your verbal communication skills. And so I found these questions online and I thought they were really excellent. And the important thing here is to tell yourself the truth. Uh, you know, maybe journal your answers here, but really think about these questions and they're going to dovetail nicely into the issues that you might have around verbal communication that I'm going to talk about next. Number one, do I ask questions when I don't understand something or do I keep it to myself? I think another thing that's really important to journal in these questions is if you find yourself responding in the negative way with whatever the question is, why is that? Can you, can you as access the, the emotion or the thought in your head that is causing you to do that? So, you know, if you don't ask questions when you don't understand someone and something that someone is telling you, why don't you speak up and ask what's going on for you? Number two, do people often misunderstand my messages? Am I often surprised that they don't understand what I'm saying? So, you know, and what, what is that about? When they say they don't understand it, do I know? Have I asked them, what do you mean when you say you don't understand? What, what part of it is unclear? Perfect example is someone in my life. We talked about this recently. I have said for, I find myself saying, huh, to her a lot. And I don't typically have to say that with anyone else in my life. And she recently told me that her, boyfriend and some other people in her life have said the same thing to her. She'd never said that to me before. And I felt very vindicated because I said, I don't have to ask anybody else. I don't think I have a hearing problem. It's the, it's the um, combination. She tends to mutter. She mumbles a little bit and it's the, the pitch at which she speaks is doing something funky in my ear and apparently a bunch of other people's ears. And so that's very different from, you know, maybe you spoke so fast that I couldn't pick up the words you were saying, or I didn't understand you because I have a language dis a, a difference than you. And I come from a different country. I speak a different language. So if people are misunderstanding you, what is it that they're misunderstanding and, and why do you think that is? Number three, is it easy for me to understand someone else's point of view during a conversation? And again, if not, is it because I'm not listening? Is it because 
I don't, um, you know, I'm not present in the conversation. I'm, you know, thinking about other things. What's going on there? Number four, do I think about how my responses will be perceived by others or do I speak without thinking? Now this is, and this is an interesting one because if I don't, if I think about my responses before, uh, you know, before I respond, am I doing it through the filter of what will they think of me? Or am I doing it through the filter of who this person is, what their knowledge of the subject is, and how best to to speak to them in a way that they will understand. Number five, do I find it difficult to see and read people's body language? We're going to definitely talk about that in a few minutes. If that's not something that you've maybe been trained on and you're not particularly attuned to body language, you really, it's, it's more than half of the conversation. It's a very important piece. And then finally, number six, do I struggle to find the right words to convey my message? So if I'm struggling to find the right words to convey my message, is that, again, a language barrier? Is it a lack of facility with the language or is it uh, I have trouble putting what I'm thinking into words. What's going on there? So I think those are really good questions to think about, and they set the stage nicely for what we're going to be talking about. I recommend that you identify one of those as being a weak link for you, if you will, and set a 90-day goal. You know, I'm always about on this podcast action items, not just giving you information that kind of, you know, goes in one ear and, you know, moseys around in there and leaves, but rather I'm going to give you something to do to improve yourself. And so I think really a good idea here is to think about those six questions and think, okay, what could I do to improve one? If I, if one really stuck out to me as being an issue, a challenge for me, how could I improve it? And, and by the way, as we go through these challenges that you might be having specifically around communication, I'm going to have some suggestions for goal setting around those as well. And some of the ways that you might get the help that you need as you set this 90 day goal, you may want to ask your mentor to help you or one of your mentors, or you may want to secure a mentor who is specifically qualified for this. You might want to watch some YouTube videos. I'm going to give that suggestion a couple of times. Uh, listening to podcasts, reading books, asking for people's feedback. So these are people who aren't necessarily your mentor, but people that you know well that will be honest with you. Taking a course, whether that's a four credit college course or something shorter and, and more, um, you know, intense. I think it's important as we talk about communication to talk about the four steps in the communication process. So the first step is the words that you actually speak, the words that come out of your mouth. And those can be affected by your articulation and your correct word usage. So think about that. You have to know the right words to speak and are you articulating it clearly so that those words can be understood by someone else. Then there are what, then the next step is what you meant by the words you spoke. So that's kind of the meaning to what you just said. And that can be affected by intonation, how you phrased it, how you, how your voice modulated vocal pauses, vocal emphases, those kinds of things. Then there are the words the listener heard. So the actual words coming to you, and this is affected by the listener's ability to hear what is said, which can be affected by, you know, the room you're in, ambient noise, or any kind of hearing issue with the listener. And the listener's 
understanding of the language you are speaking in. And then finally, there is the step of what the listener makes those words mean. And that can be affected by his or her experience. He or she can have a negative reaction to what you said, not because you said it or because it was necessarily negative or intended negative, but it's he's relating it, he or she is relating it to something negative that has happened in, in his past. And it could also be affected by cultural differences. You could say something that in English would be neutral at, at worst and could have a negative connotation in their culture. I want to emphasize that with utilizing both verbal and written communication skills, when you're, you're talking about the promotability piece, you want to be able to clearly communicate your achievements and your contributions to your manager. And you also want to be able to clearly articulate your career aspirations. So he or she needs to know that you want to be considered for a promotion at the appropriate time. I think it's also highly effective to talk to him or her about the area that you're going to be working on relative to your verbal communication skills. Next week, same thing with written. Get some input from them as to their perception of how you're doing now with that area, or maybe it's an area they've already brought to your attention. And then share your specific goal with them and, and perhaps get them involved in your 90-day plan to improve that. That's wonderful in a lot of ways. Number one, you're making sure you're on the same page with your boss about this area. You're, you're identifying that you really want this promotion when there is an opportunity for this. And also you're getting him or her on side with your improvement so they can see that you're motivated. You really want to do this. You really want this promotion. Now let's dig into some specific communication issues you may have and then the ways to improve those issues. So the first one is if you find yourself straying mentally when others are speaking, you probably have a challenge with active listening. So I want to give you some strategies for improving and getting better at active listening. First of all, you have to be able to hear the other person. If so, if this tends to be a problem, maybe because of your work environment or, you know, just the places that you tend to interact with people, or you just find that, you know, when you're at a networking event, you have trouble physically hearing the other person. Think about if this is a more than a once in a while problem for you, maybe think about how can I, you know, ask them to go to the corner of the room or ask them to leave the room going someplace quieter so that we can have the conversation. Or if it's an important conversation and they try to have it with me at a networking event or someplace with a lot of ambient noise, can I suggest that we postpone that conversation until we can meet in, in one of your offices or something like that? So that's being able to hear them. And then I also want to think about, are you, po are you possibly dealing with a hearing problem? It's a fact of life as we get older we have, you know, more of that. So if you suspect that that's a problem, might be time to go and get your hearing checked. You know, is it a hearing problem? Is it an ambient noise problem? And, and zoning in on that will really help you to come up with the right solution. But in either case, a quieter location is definitely going to help. Also, this is, this is one that's a real problem for me with the active listening is I tend to be very easily distracted by visual distractions that are going on around me. So if I'm at a networking meeting, 
I'm looking at someone, but I'm also distracted by the people that are walking behind the person that I'm talking to. If there's bright lights or things are changing, you know, there's, there's movement of some kind, whether it's people or something else, that's very distracting to me. And so I have been known to position myself or kind of gently modulate the person I'm talking to, kind of rotate us around so that I am looking, you know, whatever's behind that person is not interesting to me, is not going to distract me because I know that's an issue for me. Next, are you asking questions to make sure you understand what the other person is trying to communicate? So the key here is really finding that balance between you don't want to interrupt people, you don't want to constantly be stopping their train of thought, but you also want to make sure you're understanding. So finding that balance, and of course, what is a balance for the other person is you don't know that, and it's going to change from person to person. So you kind of have to go with what works for you. If you think this is a problem, if you think you tend to interrupt too often, get someone that you trust, you know, say, hey, can we have some conversations over the next couple of weeks? This is something I'm really working on. And I really want you to try to describe something, whatever, whether it's technical information or instructions on how to do something, whatever you tend to struggle with. And I want to see if I'm asking the right questions, but not, you don't feel like you're being interrupted and you're losing your train of thought with me. Another tool with this one also is to repeat back what is said. So kind of waiting for those natural breaks and then saying, Okay, what I think I heard you say was, I want, to, I want to check in with you. What I think I heard you say was. And then, are you making appropriate eye contact? My rule of thumb is that when the other person is speaking, I want to have nearly 100% eye contact with them. And when I'm speaking, it's more like maybe 60%. So in other words, I can look away, I can look up, I can look down, I can, you know, it helps me to gather my thoughts, you know, we don't want it to get creepy where they're staring at each other all the time. But I want to make that, I want to make a reasonable amount of eye contact. But when the other person is talking in an effort to show them that I'm really am interested and engaged with what they're saying. I want to make nearly 100% eye contact. And also those nonverbal gestures and I, you know, the nods and of the head, maybe hand motions, those kinds of things that show that you're really listening. Another possibility is if you have trouble retaining information after a conversation, then Get in the habit of having a notebook with you. This is specifically if you're thinking about being at a networking meeting or something where maybe there's going to be a lot of different conversations going on. Just jot some things down. Uh, if you're, if you have trouble retaining instructions from your boss, take a notebook in with you into the meeting. The next one is, are you paying attention to nonverbal cues and are you working to reconcile them with what's being said? I alluded to this earlier, more than half of the conversation is nonverbal. Uh, the formula that I found was the 55387 formula that was created by a man named Albert Marabian. And he states that the conversation communication is 55% nonverbal, 38% vocal. So that's not, not the words, but how the words are, are produced and 7% are words only. If this is a challenge for you, if the nonverbal issue is, I would say look on YouTube and, and search for 
tips on nonverbal communication. See what you can find there. I think that's one in particular where videos are essential as opposed to just reading about nonverbal communication. Next, do you understand what the speaker intends for you to do with the information they're about to give you? I This is one where I have gotten bit in the you-know-where a few times because I was listening and not, I wasn't listening for what the person who was talking to me was trying to tell me. I wasn't hearing what they wanted me to hear. So if you don't know, so think about this in a personal context. If you have a significant other and they're very upset and they decide they want to talk to you about it, maybe it's to do with something else altogether. It's not about you. Really helpful to say, do you want, do you want advice? Do you want me to give you a shoulder? What, what are your expectations? And then that way you can give the appropriate response. Next, are you showing the appropriate emotional response to what is being said? If this is something that doesn't come naturally to you, this may be a case of fake it till you make it, right? So if excitement and empathy and understanding and whatever the other possible responses to what someone is saying are difficult for you, then you're going to have to be much more conscious about it, right? From a Myers-Briggs perspective, I'm a Myers-Briggs uh, master practitioner, I am a feeling dominant individual, extroverted feeling dominant, which means I basically wear my heart on my sleeve. If you want to know what I'm thinking or feeling, just look at my face. I don't even have to say anything, but that's not the case for everybody. It's not the case for the majority of the people out there. So if that's something, if you tend not to show, you can, it's not that you maybe don't feel those things, but if you don't show them, then that may be something you want to work on so that the other person feels your empathy or feels your excitement or whatever the appropriate emotion is. So once again, those are all suggestions for if you have trouble with active listening. So I want to give you just kind of the, the higher points there again. You have to be able to hear them. And that could be a hearing problem or a room ambient noise problem. So you want to identify which. You may be distracted by what's going on around you. So you may want to coordinate or facilitate a conversation without distractions. You want to make sure you're asking questions to understand what they're trying to say to you, that you're hearing what they're saying. You want to make appropriate eye contact, nod, nonverbal communication, that kind of thing. You also want to pay attention to their nonverbal communication and see if those things are kind of lining up and ask questions. Ask questions if you don't, if you're seeing a disconnect between their body language and what they're saying, ask for, for clarification. If you have trouble retaining what they say to you, particularly this is not a you know, casual conversation with a friend, but this is your boss is telling you what to do next for your project write it down, take a notebook in with you. Make sure you understand what the, the speaker wants you to do with what they're about to tell you, what the appropriate action is. And then finally, make sure that you're showing an appropriate emotional response and that they can see that you are re responding appropriately. Next, number two, if your challenge is speaking clearly and concisely, this is a really good time to hire a coach. And there are speaking vocal coaches 
Um, I've recommended, there's one in South Florida that I've recommended to a few clients uh, that I'm really impressed with. Or it can be a mentor, someone who has skill in that area, who can give you real-time feedback on your communication skills. And what I mean by that is, is this someone who can listen to you, be in meetings with you, whatever the case may be, and give you feedback on what actually happened. So here are some specific ways that they can help you. Are you clearly stating your message? So this is something you could ask them to look for. Am I being clear in my messaging? Does the other person seem to understand the, what I'm trying to convey to them? Am I using unnecessary jargon, fillers, definitely no profanity, right? So slang can be anything from a cultural thing to a regional dialect thing, less than educated choice of words. Then there's also the inappropriate choice of words. Uh, you know, we all know about irregardless is not a word. Irrespective is the appropriate word. One that I've been that's uh, been driving me a little nuts on a podcast that I listened to lately has been the use of the word hone, H-O-N-E, when the appropriate word is home. So they're, they say, we're honing in on the solution. No, you're not. You're homing in on a solution. You hone your skill in an area. That's the proper use of the word. Uh, also, vocal pauses, fillers, like, um, I mean... Sort of is one that's been really, I'm hearing that one a lot. And then also overusing a word like literally. So when someone uses the word literally, I immediately listen to exactly what they're saying and and judge them harshly, I might add, if it's not literal. You know, she literally drove me up the wall. I don't think she did. Fantastic. I was watching a television show earlier today and the guy, his just response to everything was fantastic. And it's just that overuse. There's nothing wrong with the word fantastic, but if it's, if it's used so many times, it becomes distracting. Next, you want them to check to see if you are conveying your message concisely. Are you providing an appropriate amount of detail, but not too much detail? Are you staying on point or are you taking a lot of side roads? And then finally, are you using examples or analogies as appropriate to illustrate your point? So are you using tools in your toolkit to, you know, help to make sure your point is, is understood? So number two, again, was if your challenge is speaking clearly and concisely. And my points there are make sure that you're clearly stating your message. You're not using unnecessarily jargon, fillers, not using any profanity. You want to make sure that you're conveying your message concisely with just the right amount of information and you're using examples and analogies. So those are really good things to have a mentor, have a coach check you for. If you have the opportunity to record a conversation, uh, if you're talking to someone that you feel comfortable saying, hey, would it be okay if I record this on my phone because I'm doing X, I'm working on X uh, so that you can hear how you how you come across Number three, if your challenge is speaking up in meetings, and women, let's be honest, I'm speaking mostly to you on this one. This can be a couple of different things. So this can be a confidence issue. We could be thinking, oh, I don't have anything important to say. No one wants to hear what I have to say. I don't know what I'm talking about. And it can also be a communication issue. I don't know 
how to communicate my point. I don't know when to speak up, whatever it may be. And it could be a combination of those two things. In either case, set a goal to make at least one significant comment in your next meeting. So, and, and it, it, that's going to depend on what your baseline is. So if you're, if now, if it's not a matter of quantity, but quality, then that should be your goal. If you never speak up in meetings and no one even knows what your voice sounds like, then having one significant comment during the next meeting would be a, a good goal. And if possible, ask someone who will be in that meeting that you trust to give you feedback on how you, how you did and what they thought about how you showed up. And as you get comfortable with whatever you set that initial goal is, set the bar a little bit higher and a little bit higher. And even if you've never run a meeting, then that might be another step for you is to ask if you can run a meeting. So that's if your challenge is speaking up in meetings. Number four, if your challenge is presentations. So it's not so much the one-on-one. -on -one, it's more about having to give a presentation in front of a small or large group. Now, this can be an issue with public speaking. We all know that you, supposedly the biggest fear in the world is public speaking more than being, I don't know what, naked or something. I forget what the statistic is. Uh, I think I was born speaking in public, so this is not an issue I can relate to very much, but I can give you suggestions if it's your problem. Uh, it can be an issue for you of organizing your thoughts. Maybe you you don't know how to put... A, a topic together and points and, you know, the presentation materials, all of that. And it could be a combination of the two as well. So this is also an excellent one for a speaking coach and something like Toastmasters would be a good idea. But practice is going to be key here. So here are my suggestions. Number one, seek out low risk opportunities to speak in public. So this could be at work. It could be in a volunteer organization or some other you know, your kid's school, whatever it may be, but that low risk where either it's a short presentation, it's about something you know very well, whatever feels low risk to you and whatever is appropriate for your situation. In other words, where where will you be able to get someone to let you present? And then you want to build up to higher risk opportunities because then you're going to have higher reward. The next suggestion is to use appropriate visuals. We've all been subjected to PowerPoint presentations that are either so small that, that there's so much on one page that we have no idea what's up there, or there's 46 slides in, in one presentation. You want to make sure that your materials, whether it's a PowerPoint or something else, that it supports your presentation, but doesn't hijack it. The next one is get some feedback on the compellingness, I don't know if that's a word, of your presentation. Are you moving people if that's the purpose of the, of the presentation? Are you making factual information interesting? Are you using humor if it's appropriate and if that's natural and intrinsic for you? Next, know your audience. Know what their current level of understanding is of the information, maybe what references they will relate to. A perfect example is, I used to do, when I was working in higher education, I would do dress for success programs. So the students, you know, they had to get dressed for interviews, particularly the accounting majors who were going through a lot of on-campus interviews as they got ready to graduate or even earlier when they were looking for internships. My, my standard joke back in the day, going way back, was, you know, I would talk about the appropriate amount of jewelry to wear and I would say, you know, as far as like necklaces, 
I would say, don't wear your Mr. T starter kit. Well, there became a point at which no one knew who Mr. T was and what his starter kit was. You, Those of you that are of a certain age, you, you know how many necklaces Mr. T wore, and the rest of you are going, I don't know what she's talking about. So having those appropriate references, an, an age, you know, if you've got an audience that's age 50 and up, your reference points would probably need to be pretty different from a recent college graduate group, that kind of thing. And then is there anything else that you can find out about them that would help you customize your presentation? Next, look the part. One of the best pieces of advice that I got in graduate school was from a professor who said, how you dress lets the audience know what you think of them. And I took that to heart and I always have been my one of my the bedrocks of my my professional reputation when I was in higher education was how professional I always looked. I never looked sloppy. I never wore, you know, jeans or whatever we were allowed to wear some days. And I certainly made a point to dress up when I was doing a presentation for a group. Now you want to, of course, factor in things like the environment and the and things like, uh, you know, the audience. So, for example, if you're doing a presentation in the middle of the summer in Florida, where I live, and and the meeting is going to be in a barn, then I'm I don't want to be in a in a hot suit, right? And hosiery and I don't want to. If you're a man, you probably don't want to tie on. Like you have to factor all of that in. But in general, dress in a way that shows your audience that you respect them, that you value their time. And I promise you, they will take you more seriously if you do. And next, if you find it challenging to answer audience questions, either because you're afraid you won't have the answer or maybe you're just not great with thinking on your feet and being spontaneous, I recommend that you watch as many YouTube videos of this Q&A portion of a presentation or go to live presentations and pay attention and evaluate how they are handling that portion and pick up tips, learn from their successes and their mistakes. What do I want to do more of, less of? Oh, I like that. And it's not that you're becoming someone you're not, but you are adapting and, and growing and evolving with this, this new information. I, I know personally that's, that's a strength of mine. I will say really good at, the, the Q&A portion, but I've been to somewhere they don't answer the question that's asked or they dismiss questions or it's just, you know, it becomes a very awkward section. And when you think about it, the Q&A section is going to be the last part of your presentation. So if you bomb that, it probably will, for the most part, cancel out any good that you achieved during the presentation. So let me give you those again. If the presentation issue is the problem, seek out low risk opportunities to get your practice in and get better at this thing. Use appropriate visuals. If you are a PowerPoint novice or you know that you're not doing that right or you're relying too much on PowerPoint, get some help with that and maybe look at other things you can do besides just PowerPoint. Get feedback on how compelling your presentations are. Are you eliciting the appropriate emotion or response that you are hoping for? Find out as much as you can about your audience so that you can customize your presentation and your, your references, your stories that you tell. Look the part, dress appropriately, and then finally, 
get really good at the Q&A section at being able to answer questions and, and think ahead of time. I'll also say think ahead of time. It's really good to communicate ahead of time with the audience. We're going to be having Q&A at the back. So I ask you at the end. So I ask you to hold your questions, jot them down if you want to. And I'll open up questions, you know, with 15 minutes left to go or something like that. I think it can, it can avoid some uncomfortable situations when people raise their hand during the presentation. If you don't want that to happen. Let's circle back around to the title of this episode, Improving Verbal Communication Skills to Enhance Promotability. As I said at the outset, a piece of this is communicating with your boss that you, number one, want to be promoted. Number two, that you have identified an area of your verbal communication skills, or conversely, maybe they've identified an area for you to work on. And then finally, that you have this plan that you want to loop them in on and get their help with. And then, of course, be really specific about what kind of help you want from them. You know, it could be feedback. It could be like, I'd like you to sit in on this presentation and give me feedback about this. It could be suggestions on how to approach improvement, kind of what strategies to try. It could be opportunities. You could be going to your boss to say, what opportunities can you help me get to work on this thing. The final word on this is practice, 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 practice. Set SMART goals and then plan your steps to achieve those goals and evaluate your progress at the end of your end of your 90 days and at appropriate levels in between. So practice, 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 get better on verbal communication skills. Next week we're going to talk about written communication skills. And so I'll see you next week. Take care.